Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I appreciate you connecting every week to listen, to learn, and of course, to grow. If you've been enjoying this podcast, would you take a few minutes of your time to give us a five-star rating and to leave us a positive written review? This will help other people find us and connect with us as you have. In advance, I want to say thank you for doing that. One of the most difficult things in life is not knowing what to do when you fall, fail, falter, when you face tragedy, affliction, or a quarantine. To know and understand that your life isn't over and that the game doesn't just stop because you bruised your arm or you skinned your knee or you ran into some roadblocks. You see, people of great faith have this ability to envision trials, dark valleys, hurts, and pain as opportunities, and not necessarily as setbacks. They're able to see them as launch pads to greater things in life. About a week ago, I was honored to have interviewed a good friend of mine from Puerto Rico over an Instagram Live, and she told us the story about uh, the time that she lost her father about four and a half years ago. And soon after that, her mother was diagnosed with a mental illness. And if that weren't enough, they were hit by Hurricane Maria and then by an earthquake. During that time, they lost their internet service, all communication, power. They lost their resources, but they didn't lose their mind. Rather than trying to draw in people with her story, making them feel bad for her suffering, she went on to tell us what she had learned through the process. This is what amazed me the most, the fact that she displayed a very high level of resilience. You see, I've always said that crisis reveals an individual's true character. Every one of us at some point in our lives will have to face a process. It's inevitable. Some of you listening right now, some of you are right in the middle of your process. Some of you are coming out of your process, others going into a process, but the truth of the matter is you can't escape the process and the process is non-transferable. You can't delegate that responsibility. You can't pass it on to someone else. You have got to go through the process and if you go through the process with the right mindset, you will come out stronger on the other side. Please keep in mind that if you abort the process, you forfeit the blessing that it can potentially produce in your life. Let me say that again. If you abort the process, you forfeit the blessing. To speak to you today about the power of process, I would like to use David out of the Bible as one of the key characters. Now, I love to talk about David. You see, David is a man after God's own heart. I love to talk about David because God selected him against all odds. You've probably read his story. He was the rejected brother in his family, the eighth son of Jesse. He wasn't preferred by his father, and he was not embraced by his brothers. And yet God, now listen, and yet God had an amazing plan for his life. He was someone that everyone looked over, frowned upon. They never thought he would amount to anything in life. I mean, come on, let's face it. He did not have the proper characteristics that would qualify him to 
succeed in life. I mean, come on, the kid wasn't tall. He wasn't strong. He wasn't built. He didn't have a strong jawline. He didn't look athletic. On the outside, he looked like the least likely to succeed. His family sent him out to the field to feed the sheep, to shepherd, to shovel up sheep dung. They treated him as a worthless child, and he was always under the shadow of his brothers, running errands for them, going here and there. But you know what? (laughs) But God had a plan for his life, and that changed David's story. You see, Jeremiah the prophet, he wrote, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. That's Jeremiah 1.5. You see, when God fixed his eyes on David, he said, I have found a man after my own heart. He calls David a man, and he's only a child. But because God calls the things that are not as though they were, he knows he has the power to make it become what he says. So God will speak to you about your future when you are wrestling with your past. God will be talking to you about your destiny when you're still struggling to let go of your history. I want to encourage you today, whatever your process has been, whatever whatever has afflicted you the most, whatever you're still holding on to, I encourage you today to let it go. You got to tell yourself, come on, let it go and let God. See, God anointed David David was all rough and woolly, poorly trained, uneducated David. God had anointed David, the rejected son of Jesse, to be not just blessed, but to be the king. He was not part of a royal lineage. He wasn't part of a trained pedigree of disciplined people that had been allocated and somewhat set aside for such a thing. He was a shepherd boy, a nobody. He was rejected, looked down upon, but God, let me say that again, but God said, I am going to make him king. And when God gets ready to bless you, then nobody can curse you. When God gets ready to raise you up, then nobody, nobody can take you down. You see, David possesses a huge heart. What I have learned is that God will bless those whose hearts are are big, deep, and vast. God always blesses those who have unusual capacities in their hearts. So if your heart is not ready to encompass God's greatness, God will pour His greatness into a hardened, shallow heart because His greatness will leak out of a shallow heart. In spite of everything that David had to go through, everything he had to endure, the process that he went through, being rejected by his own family, isolated, the people that were supposed to love him. You know, in spite of all that, David's not angered. He's not bitter nor resentful. He's not holding a grudge towards his brothers. He actually goes out of his way to serve them. He goes to the battlefield where they are at, and David takes them lunch. You see, David is so aggressive. He's so ambitious and so tenacious that rather than being envious of his brothers, he chooses to bring them lunch. That speaks of his heart. David just wanted to be part of that game. He wanted to be at the battlefield. He didn't care if he had to he had to be quiet. He had to stand in the background or if he had to cook and bake bread for them. It didn't matter. He just wanted to be there, but but he just didn't know what God was up to. Isn't it amazing how God will bring you to the right place at the right time 
You think you came here to do one thing, but he really brought you here to do something completely different? You see, when David got down to the field and he looked, he saw Goliath talking trash against the army of Israel and talking about how strong he was and how he was going to take the Israelites down. Goliath was a giant from Gath. He was a Philistine. And he went down there to make a mockery out of the armies of Israel. And when David heard him say what he was going to do to the Israelites, David got so upset. He was beside himself. He ran down into the valley and he said, enough is enough. Is there not a cause? He said, come on, I'll take you on myself. Now, don't you think for a moment that just because David wrote songs and poetry and was in touch with his sensitive and creative side, don't you think that he wasn't mighty in battle? He was a mighty warrior. He was gentle and meek enough to write songs and poetry and yet powerful enough to kill a hundred Philistines and throw their foreskins at the feet of Saul and ask who else needs to die. I mean, come on, David was a strong and forceful man. A forceful man in a really bad situation. Keep in mind, he was still a kid. You see, sometimes people will overlook great men because they meet them in bad situations. And they don't have the faith to see what you shall be. They walk past you because of where you are not, knowing that (laughs) this too shall pass. David fought Goliath with a sling and a stone, and he defeated him. And David said, it's over. It's over. And David's gift made room for him and brought him before great men. It wasn't his business cards. It wasn't his resume or years of experience. It was his gift that made room for him. If God really puts something in you, it will make room for you. Let me say that again. If God puts something in you, it, that thing he put in you, it will make room for you. You see, David was rejected and afflicted, but he didn't let any of that cause him to become hateful, bitter, vengeful. So let me ask you a question. Are you big enough for what God is about to do in your life? Or are you still stuck on something? Are you stuck on a stage of unforgiveness? Or are you stuck on something that that happened 10 years ago? There's a story about a tribe that lives on the other side of the world, and every day they wake up and uh, they go out hunting for monkeys. But they know that monkeys are quite astute. They're smart. They're quick. They're they're, uh, sneaky. And these monkeys, they know the tribesmen, so they go up to the top part of the rainforest canopy. That's the safest place to be. Because they know that these tribesmen shoot darts, and they are pretty good at it. So what the tribesmen do in order to lure the monkeys down from the top of the trees is they will find a coconut, they will put a hole in it, hollow it out, and they will fill the coconut with the monkey's favorite fruit. They will tie the the coconut to a low-hanging branch, low enough for them to reach with their darts. And as soon as the monkey picks up on the scent, they pick up on that delicious fruit. And because they're they're such curious animals and they are quite smart, they immediately start to descend from the top of the canopy all the way down to the lower branches. And upon finding the coconut, they will stick their tiny little hand flat all the way into the coconut. And as soon as their hand is inside, they will grasp the fruit and forming a fist. When they form a fist and they try to pull their hand out of the coconut, guess what? (laughs) It no longer fits. 
It's too big. Keep in mind, when they put their hand in, they put it in flat. But when they're trying to pull it out, they're making a fist. They're holding on to the fruit. And there's no way, there's no power that's going to, to make them let go of that fruit. They want to eat it. The monkeys then notice that the tribesmen are starting to position themselves with their dart guns, ready to shoot them and to kill them. And although the monkey understands what's about to happen, the monkey is unwilling. Now listen, listen is unwilling, not unable, unwilling to let go of the fruit. And what ends up happening to the monkey is they end up dying. They end up dying simply because they were unwilling to let go of the fruit. So how does this story apply to our lives? Well, it's pretty simple. You see, the fruit represents our past, our history, hurts and pains, the things that we are unwilling to let go of, that we keep holding on to. And perhaps it's something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. We don't even know at times when it happened. We have forgotten, but yet we continue to hold on. And as we hold on, we progressively, very slowly die. And I'm not necessarily talking about a physical death, but I'm talking about an emotional death. I'm talking about a spiritual death. You see, David did not hold on to those things, those things that that could have had the potential to entrap him, to keep him stuck in a rut, not moving forward. You see, God wouldn't have anointed David had he been holding a grudge on everyone and the things that had happened in his life. David was quick to let go of those things and allow God to work in him and through him. So let's fast forward from the valley where David slayed the giant to a place called Ziglag. You see, David is no longer at this point a boy. He is now a courageous warrior leading an army. He has come to Ziglag with his wives, his army, and their families. They've been camping out for about a year and four months, all while David and his men are out at war. They are fighting the Philistine army, gaining victory over them, defeating them. When they come back to Ziglag, you know, what would you expect if you're coming back from war, if you're coming back from a victory? Well, he was expecting for the women and the children to be standing along the road, waiting for them, expectant, cheering, dancing, playing music, serving a feast. But what they find is the complete opposite. David runs into a place that is deserted. It's desolate. There's a grim atmosphere. Every tent is empty, and they see the sign that the Amalekites have been there. They were the most fierce enemy Israel ever had because they were specialists at preying on their vulnerabilities. You see, they would go after their weakness and not their strength. That's why they they took the women and the children. They weren't brave enough to fight the men. They went after the weakness of Israel to destroy it and to break it down. And when David comes home from fighting the Philistines, he runs into a ravaged house, a destroyed village, women and children snatched out of the house, and it all happened in Ziglag. You see Ziglag? Ziglag, my friends, is the place in your life where you are afflicted to the point of death. Now listen, I don't know what your Ziglag looks like. It could be that you come home feeling like you have gained the world, you have won the battle, you have defeated the armies, and you come home to a desolate place. 
that could be your zigzag. Your zigzag could be a point in time in your childhood when you were beaten and abused. That could be your zigzag. Everyone at a point in time is at zigzag, and everyone's zigzag is different. It's it's what I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode. It's your process. And remember, your process is non-transferable. It's non-negotiable. It's your process. And the process sometimes feels painful. It feels like the point of death. But only if you are resilient enough, strong enough, courageous enough, tenacious enough to overcome Ziglag will you come out stronger. Don't expect a crown until you have been to Ziglag. Don't expect to get it for nothing. You see, nothing comes easy. Nothing comes without a struggle, my friends. Nothing comes without conflict. David comes back from the battle looking for comfort, and he runs into conflict. Have you ever gone looking for comfort and ran into conflict? If you're not careful, you can get to the point where you stop looking for comfort because you get so used to conflict, and you don't even expect things to ever get better. So here's David. He's looking into Ziglag with his men his warriors. He sees destruction, desolation. He knows what's happened. And if that weren't enough, now David, David can see his men concocting a plan. They're talking, but he's not included in the conversation. You see, all of these men have gathered to put the blame on David, the leader. They're saying if if it hadn't been for David and his decisions, we would have our families. We wouldn't be in this situation. So they went from praising their leader from honoring their leader from from following their leader to completely rebelling against him. So now they're talking about stoning David. They want to kill him. And so the Bible goes on to say that David was greatly distressed over what he was seeing and what he was hearing. His own people, his own his own family had turned against him. That's a painful thing. It's a painful thing because it's hard to fight the people that you love. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You survived something. You overcame the affliction and the people you thought would be happy for you, they're not. It seems like when you're at the top of the game, you are everyone's favorite. But once, once you fail, you fall, you falter, or you face some kind of affliction, it seems like they completely forget about who you once were. And isn't that the truth? That's why you should be careful with the accolades of people. People will change in a blink of an eye. Fear tried to creep into David's mind. You see, the enemy came to him with lies. Lies. And that's the enemy's specialty. On a daily basis, we are presented with multiple opportunities to allow fear to dominate us. And that's, that's all the enemy is looking for, an opportunity to infect our minds with thoughts of doubt, fear, and despair. But, and here's the big but, the Bible says, We have not been given the spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You see, our default mode is not fear. Our default mode is power, love, and a sound mind. You probably heard it's been said that fear stands for false evidence appearing real. Most of the things that we are afraid of are non-existent. They are only, only existent in our minds. You see, David is on the brink of giving up. He's soon to collapse. I mean, he's weary as it is. He's burdened. 
not only is he physically afflicted, but now he is mentally, psychologically distraught to the point of death. But again, the Bible says, but David, and this is key, my friends. Now, I want you to, I want you to hone in on this right here. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God and in him found strength. Did you notice that? That David encouraged himself? No, he didn't turn on the computer and go to a YouTube channel to find the greatest and, and best influencer to get encouraged. He didn't turn on a podcast. He didn't, he didn't go to a friend. He didn't go to a conference. He didn't, he didn't go to some kind of a, of a seminar that would pick him up and make him feel good about himself. No, no, no. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God and in him found strength. Have you ever had to encourage yourself? Your kids didn't do it. Your spouse didn't do it. You encouraged yourself. David encouraged himself. The number one fear that the enemy wants to instill in you is that God's promises will not come to pass, that you're not good enough, that you're not holy enough. He wants you to doubt, to become uncertain, to develop fear. He is a liar, the father of all lies, the accuser of the believers. The Bible says that he goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is a counterfeit. Ha, huh. but here goes the big butt again. <laughs> but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, and in him he found strength. See, then David went on to ask God. He said, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. You see, the Lord was saying, the victory is already yours, David. Don't listen to the accusations. Don't listen to that self-limiting belief. Don't listen to your paradigms. Don't listen to your past. The victory is yours because I say so. So I want you to tell yourself, the victory is mine because he says so. No matter who you are, you are bound to go through hurtful situations. You're bound to go through trials and afflictions. You see, the difference between you and the world is the way you respond to and confront the adversities in your life. The believer who is strong in faith and trusts in the word of God recognizes that even in the midst of trials and tribulations, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear any evil, for we know that he is with us. You see, the believer knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that if God is for us, who dare be against us? The believer understands that even though we go through adversity, that no weapon formed against us shall ever prosper. He knows that God will restore what the locust has eaten. The believer understands that tragedy and affliction are not of the Lord. See, the believer comprehends that adversity and affliction are not a setback, my friend, but a launch pad for greater things. It is in the overcoming of that thing in which we gain promotion. Don't you think for one moment that because you're going through adversity that you are not blessed? Don't let people try and convince you that that you're being afflicted because you're out of God's will. Jesus was doing the will of the Father, and he had to face affliction. The Bible says that Job was a faithful servant of the Lord, and he was afflicted. When the world sees a curse in your situation, you, you should rise up and see opportunity. God will use what the enemy intended for evil, 
and he will turn it around and use it to purify you, grow you, and see you mature spiritually. You see, through the suffering, God will show you things that other people cannot even comprehend. They can't criticize you. They haven't walked in your shoes. But when you walk, make sure you walked fully clothed in the armor of God, no matter what you're going through. The more you rise up in faith, the more the enemy will attack you with his fiery darts. And it is only the armor of God that will extinguish them. If he can manage to demoralize you, to cause you to lose all hope, then he has made you his prisoner. You end up like the monkey holding onto that uh, fruit in the coconut. (laughs) When you receive Christ, your heart got saved, but not your mind. Paul writes to the Romans. He says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may test and approve God's perfect, pleasing, and goodwill for our lives. He's basically saying transformation through the Lord comes in, in, into your heart, but the transformation of the mind is a, is a willful action that each and every one of us decides to make. So stand firm. Keep in mind that you can't be a winner if you haven't been in a contest. Come on. You can't be a conqueror if you haven't had to face a conflict. You can't have the victory if you haven't been in a fight. You can't have a testimony if you haven't been through a test. And you surely can't have a message unless you have been through a mess. Now understand this, that the greater the conflict, the greater the conquering. The greater the conquering, the greater the victory. It doesn't have to be a big conflict, you know, (laughs) It can be something simple like, I made it to church, but you don't know what I had to go through to make it to church. Or I got a job, but you don't know what I had to go through to get a job. Or I kept this marriage despite of all the conflict, but you don't know what I had to do to keep this marriage together. In other words, somebody else's normal is your miracle. So don't let people look at you funny when you praise. They can't understand your praise if they don't understand your pain. They don't understand your agony, your suffering you got to tell yourself, I will praise the Lord at all times, even in the midst of hell and high waters. I will praise the Lord. You've got to command every fiber in your being to praise the Lord. It doesn't happen automatically every morning. You've got to command every fiber in your being to praise the Lord. Now, I'm about to say something that might ruffle somebody's feathers, and that's okay, but I want to say this, that God's not interested in your circumstances as much as He is interested in using your circumstances to make you more like His Son. Look at the affliction through the eyes of faith. When people see death, God envisions life. When others see destruction, God envisions new creation. When others see human suffering, God envisions healing. When others expect failure, God envisions victory. My brothers, my sisters, my friends, it's time to encourage yourself in the Lord. It's time to rise up and to get out of zigzag. Let me end with this. Four key points about affliction, about the process. Affliction reveals the true character of an individual. Affliction drives us closer to God. Affliction gives our worship to the Lord new meaning. Affliction gets much worse right before the blessing comes. And affliction promotes us to a higher level in our faith. 
So don't despise affliction and the power of the process. Consider it an opportunity for growth. God bless you guys.